Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Genesis 41, the very end of chapter 41, open up, Genesis 41, and we're going to focus today on chapters 42 through 45, but we want to set the stage by coming back to 41 and uh, what's taking place here. We are quickly nearing the end of our time in Genesis, and I can't tell you how rich this has been from a study standpoint. I pray it has been beneficial and useful for you, um, but I also pray this will not be the last you spend in Genesis, but that it in some ways invigorated a desire to be in Genesis more uh, than maybe you had in the past, because there is so much here uh, about the character of God and our proneness to make a mess, right? And as we step into some of these final chapters, we're really going to see even further examples of the character of God and fall back to this main idea that we've mentioned over the last several weeks, which is what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And I want you to cling to that. Because really the focus comes back to the sovereignty of God and our hope and peace and joy has to be rooted in Him. If we want that to last, if we want that to move beyond circumstances of life, it has to be rooted in something that does not change. And I don't know about you, but the more we go through Genesis, the more I realize that anything dependent on us as mankind is extremely prone to change. Therefore, if our hope is rooted in ourselves or in other people, we will be frustrated at best. Now, where we pick up in this narrative comes really back to Joseph is in Egypt. The famine has entered the land. And you really get a panned out view, understanding what Joseph's family does not yet know. And it makes for a great setup as we predict the tensions that may be coming. And if you look with me at Genesis 41 verse 57, the very last verse of chapter 41, it says, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Everyone around was coming to Egypt because there was no food. The famine was severe. God had pre-planned Joseph to end up where he did that many might be physically saved in the midst of this famine. But 
if you follow the narrative and we get to this point at the end of chapter 41, you're probably asking the question, wait, if all the earth was coming to Joseph, that means Joseph's family has to come eventually. And it sets up this tension. What's going to happen? What will be their response? Will Joseph actually make himself known? We're going to find out. Now, as I was studying this and preparing this, I, I actually thought of a TV show I've watched in the past called Undercover Boss. Has anyone watched that before? Because some of you have. The general premise of this show is the CEO or the boss of a company goes undercover and works alongside of his employees in various capacities. And at times it's kind of entertaining because you see that the boss is really not very good at doing what he has other people do. But what's really intriguing about this TV show is that at the end of the show, they set up this meeting and the boss shows, has these employees come to him and he reveals who he really is. For some of the employees, this is a really good thing. Because as they worked alongside of him, not knowing who he was... It proved their character, their personality, their fit for their job, and often resulted in monetary benefit and praise from their boss. However, one of the most entertaining pieces of this, from my viewpoint, is when you have someone who is just a terrible employee and is working that way alongside their boss. And you kind of have this same ideas we get in this narrative where you all reading the narrative as readers know what's going on here. When you watch Undercover Boss, you have you know what's going on. You're watching this. You're like, this is painful. This is not going to turn out well for them. And then at the end, they reveal and oftentimes it results in this major humbling moment for this employee who did not realize who they were actually working with. Now, in today's message, we really have the first episode of Undercover Brother, Egypt Edition. So, if you've been following, you may be wondering, and we're, we're going to see what that interaction looks like. And man, talk about an awkward family reunion. Uh, let's start at chapter 42, verse 1. It said, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine uh, was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now a couple observations here that are really important. Number one, Jacob also known as Israel, same person, does not send Benjamin. And you, you would be wise to go, why is that? Well, we need to understand something. If we go back in the history of Jacob or Israel, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, which 
as we know from the previous narratives in Genesis, he was felt he fell head over heels in love with Rachel and then was deceived by his father-in-law Laban into marrying Leah first and then Rachel later. Well, that favoritism continued and it was very unhealthy. Well, Leah had a lot of children and Rachel didn't have children until much later on. Her first child was Joseph, which explains some of the favoritism that passed on to Joseph. Here, Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, becomes the favorite child and he's put has the coat of many colors put on him and he's favored and the brothers dislike Joseph, ultimately this leading to his sale as a slave and the deception of the brothers to tell Jacob that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Well, we also see in previous narratives that Rachel had a second son named Benjamin. She died while giving birth to this son. So now you have Joseph, Jacob is perceived as dead, and Benjamin is now the new favorite, if you will. And out of fear, understandably from Jacob's perspective, that the last time he sent one of his favorite sons, and I emphasize this, this is wrong, okay? We talked about that. They didn't come back. So he sends the other ten to Egypt to get food, but keeps Benjamin close. Now, the second thing that's an important observation here is actually in verse 6, when Joseph's brothers came and they bowed themselves before him. Now, what's so significant about that, you might say? Well, if you just jot down a note for 37, chapter 37, verses 5 through 8, go back there this week and look at that. And what you see there is that Joseph actually had a dream that this would happen. And then he shared this dream with his brothers and their family. You, I had a dream that you know, you, all of your sheaves of wheat were bowing down to me. And they laughed at him. And this was further ammunition for them to get rid of him. And now we see that coming to fruition. Much later in his life, I'll have you know. Now what takes place next, we see in verse 7. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. We can imagine the panic that ensued in their voices at this point. No, 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 they said. No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Now, what takes place after this is Joseph kind of playing this up in the sense that he doesn't Gives the perception he doesn't believe what his brothers are telling him. And he puts them in prison for three days and then sends all of them except one brother back for their youngest brother. Because they, they lay out and say, no, 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 this is true. This is what's true about us. This is what's really true about us. And Joseph basically says, prove it. Prove it to be true. Now, what's really interesting about this is that in verse 11, 
the comment they make here when they say we are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Now, if you've been reading along with us and following along with us in Genesis, that statement should make you chuckle a little bit. Really? Honest men? Did we forget about what happened previously? And to emphasize this even further, if you go down to verse 21, after all of this is happening, verse 21, it says, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. In that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them. I love Reuben here. Just I told you so. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. He took Simeon from them, bound him before their eyes, and Joseph gave orders, fill their bags with grain to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Now, there's something we can learn here in application from Joseph's brothers. And it is this statement. The only path to healing is repentance. I want you to think about how long Joseph's brothers have been carrying around that weight. The weight of their choices. Years. Decades. They've been carrying this around. And Joseph here knows what they did. They know what they did. And yet there is this persona they've created and even acknowledged before Joseph. We're we're honest men. And in verse 21, they go, well, actually, we're really not. We're really not. In truth, we are guilty in this way. Now, here's where this can become application. No matter how long you think you can go without any effect on you or those around you, The only way to begin a journey of healing is confession and repentance. It's the only way we can step foot on that. And I'm not going to stand here and say that that is an easy thing for us to do. Because it's terrifying. But what do we want more? (laughs) I, I, I sat here for a long time this week and I thought... What was the weight of that really like? They knew they were guilty. And yet they'd lied to their father. They'd said Joseph was dead. They had no expectation that they'd ever see him again. The only way to begin a journey of healing is repentance. Now, there's a difference here between confession and repentance and this is very random but i'm gonna give you an image and the reason i'm giving you this image is because this is we had this discussion at the dinner table one night with our three kids because we're talking about this and our kids were like what's the difference between confessing and repenting how does these two things go together and all i had at the table to give them an image was a spoon so i'm gonna give you the same image 
And I'm going to explain it just like I did to my kids because it stuck with me. And I, I constantly come back to this. And you can pretend you yourself are Mr. Spoon. You're walking along in life. Okay? When I realize I've done something wrong, confession is I'm, I stop moving in the direction I'm going. I've stopped. I'm, I'm, I'm moving along. I stop. Wait a minute. Okay. I recognize and confess I'm going in the wrong direction. Confession just means that I've stopped. doesn't mean that I've repented. Repentance means I turn around and I go the other way. I go in a direction that's not the direction I've been going. That's repentance. So in the midst of this, we can, we, we generally, most of the time, are pretty good about confession. Moving along, oh man, okay, I'm not going the direction I should be going. I stopped. And then we sit here. Or we move in another direction that's not repentance. Or we, we move slower in the same direction we were going. The only way to healing is through confession and repentance. It's the only way. And it's in recognition here. Just as Joseph's brothers recognize, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. And unfortunately, in the midst of this, there's no way to undo what's already been done. But there is opportunity for confession. And the weight of that, they actually just continue to carry with them. We see this and there's hope of, oh, you don't have any idea. Joseph's standing right there. Your opportunity for healing is right in front of you. (laughs) And you have no idea. And in recognizing this, they journey back to Egypt obviously concerned and anxious about what's going to happen because their brother Simeon is now in Egypt and they're taking the food back, but they're coming up one short. And now much what they don't know is that their money they brought to pay for the food is back in their bags. This was done for them. So they return to their father and they find the money back in their bags. And now they're even more terrified. Oh, my goodness. And it's all falling back. If you look here, they blame their guilt for the reason that all this is happening to them. A reckoning has come. And so now they just think even more. Now they're going to think that we stole from them. What's going to come of us? And there's a, there's a fear that comes upon this. So they explain the whole situation to their father, Jacob. And Jacob responds really very negatively. If you look at uh, verse 36. They explain, we need to take Benjamin back with us because it's the only way we're going to free Simeon. Like, we, we've got to, you, you've got to help us here, Dad. You've you got to help us. And Jacob, verse 36, their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. And then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. It's a little exaggeration. Little overkill. Put him in my hands. I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down. This is Jacob speaking. For his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. 
So he refuses to send Benjamin. The grain is eaten. They need more food. Now, I want you to pause and think about this for a second. I, I was sitting here going, I wonder what Simeon thought during this whole time. Because it's not like you can send, a, send an email. Hey, Simeon, we'll be back. As soon as the food's gone, you know, we'll be back. It's all right. Just hang in there, buddy. No, no idea. Did they just abandon him? And you have to think that Simeon's going, are they going to do to me what they did to Joseph? Let me go. Like, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't know. I'm just speculations. I'm reading the text. I'm wondering what Simeon's thought was this whole time. But they need more food now. And this impending day would have been looming the more food was eaten. They get closer and closer. We're going to have to go back. And the tension still exists between Jacob and his sons. And they're going, we got to take Benjamin or, or we're not coming back. And the day comes. And there's further conflict. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. The famine was severe in the land. When they had eaten the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to him, go again and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, dad, you're not getting this. You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned. Take also your brother. Rise. Go again. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. You can sense a depressed, just a depressing tone in Jacob's voice at this point. So the men took this present. They took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before <clears throat> Joseph. To summarize this conflict, Jacob says, go back to Egypt. They say, if we go without Benjamin, we're going to be in trouble. If Benjamin does not return, Jacob says, I will die. And the brothers say, we will guarantee his return. They travel back to Egypt. They're placed in Joseph's house, which is interesting. When they come back, Joseph sees them coming, says to put them in his house. And when Joseph's come home, Joseph comes home, we see a shift here take place. Now, sitting from the reader's perspective here, church family, and they're sitting in Joseph's house, there's a great amount of tension built at this point. There's a lot on the line. And you and I know the answer. Joseph, he's right there. 
Will this be the moment that Joseph reveals himself? What will their reactions be? Look at verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, your father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. They laid on the floor. That's what that means. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he saw a place to weep. He entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face, he came out, and controlling himself, he had said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians." They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. In this moment, there is a break from the tension and a sense of normalcy. That for the first time in a long time, these brothers are together. Sharing a meal with one another. Now chapter 24 transitions to really a test that Joseph placed on his brothers. By not only putting the money back in their sacks, but also his personal silver cup in Benjamin's sack. When they're ultimately overtaken at Joseph's command... They immediately return to Egypt and they plead their case to Joseph, obviously concerned that their father is going to die because Joseph is now saying, it's the responsibility of the one that my cups, it's whoever sacked my cups in, it's their responsibility. Knowing full well how their father would return. In the midst of all of this, we see the brothers at a sense of desperation And it's in this moment, as they're telling everything their father had told to them, you could just picture the anxiety that they had. And even falling back to this place of a reckoning has come because of what we've done. Look at all of this unfolding. Trying to grasp for any amount of control that they could get. Have you ever been there? It's a domino effect. First one bad thing, then another, then another, then another. It just seems to cascade and you end up just grappling for control. I've got to get a hold of this somehow. And then it's in the midst of this. In chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made him then... Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. I think that's probably an understatement. 
right? Joseph's like, it's me, it's Joseph. And they're standing there with their mouths open like, what? They could not even speak. Joseph's brothers at this point shift from an anxiety about their father's life to an anxiety about their own lives. The one they had sinned against now in authority over them. You understand that? If they thought the money in their, ba- in their bags was bad, now think about the situation they're in. Caught red-handed. And yet, in the face of this moment, we see something so powerful. Look at verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. I'm picturing him almost like grabbing their faces. It's me. Whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. At the end of all of this in chapter 45, Joseph's brothers return to their father and they tell him about Joseph to his disbelief. And he agrees, ends up at the end of the chapter, Jacob agrees to make way for Egypt and to bring the family to see his son before he dies. Now, there are a couple of truths that I want you to grasp in the midst of this that are so powerful. The first one is what we've been saying. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. Verse 5, this cascade of Joseph's response, his merciful response. Do not be distressed because God sent me before you to preserve life. That's verse 5. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep you alive for many survivors. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Oh, but God. In the midst of the trial, church family, know that God is sovereign. In the face of what you don't know will come, know that God sees the whole picture. In the midst of so many trials, you think about Joseph's life and what leads up to this moment. And it's easy for us to sit here and read that and go, wow, what an amazing narrative. And yet you put yourself in Joseph's shoes and you go, I don't want to walk through that. And yet some of you are walking through similar seasons of life right now. And I want to ask you, where are your eyes seated Where are they fixed at? Because if they remain fixed on my situation and my scenarios, I'm going to continue to be the most discouraged, 
melancholy, like just down person because there's no hope for me. But as, J, as Joseph is able to realize here, God is the one who sent me. He doesn't say, well, this has been an easy walk. He says, no, I can see the sovereignty of God in the midst of all of the junk. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Can we see the same? Are we looking for the same or are we content simply being discouraged in the midst of our trial? It brings new life to the emphasis in James of count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is not easy. Everyone say it's not easy at all. But I pray that we can be a people who sees the sovereignty of God in the midst of our trial. The second is a gospel correlation that many of us miss in this text. And that is that the mercy of Joseph should remind us of the mercy of God. When we encounter Christ, it is the eternal equivalent of Joseph's brothers coming face to face with Joseph. We have sinned against him. We deserve his wrath and he is in a place to hand that out to us. And yet he has shown us abundant mercy. Then when we recognize that he is actually the only one who can save us. He's the only one that can provide our deepest needs, what we need to survive. And when we surrender to Him, He invites us into His own home, clothes us, feeds us, and guarantees us security. Such powerful grace. So I don't know where many of you stand in the midst of this. But I know one thing to be true. Every one of us is in the position of Joseph's brothers when we seek to come before the throne of God in Christ. Every one of us deserves His wrath because of how we have sinned against Him. And yet God in His grace has given us Christ. God in His mercy has given us life. We don't deserve that in the same way Joseph's brothers don't deserve to be not only provided for, but welcomed into Egypt and taken care of for the rest of their days. Oh, but God, church family. And so regardless of where you find yourself, you have to decide standing before your father, who are you surrendered to? Like Joseph's brothers, we recognize our guilt the majority of the time. Where we would go, I'm an honest person, and yet behind the scenes at the core we would say, truthfully, we are guilty concerning fill in the blank. Oh, but God. So I want to challenge you to make a decision today who you will be surrendered to. Will you choose to surrender to the only one who can not only 
usher in mercy, but provide for everything that you would ever have need of. And when I say that, I don't mean the physical. He takes care of those needs, not the wants, but the needs. But more importantly, he takes care of the eternal relationship that you are incapable of achieving of your own doing. It's in Christ. May we see Joseph's example and recognize such great mercy God has bestowed on us in Christ that we do not deserve. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to close with this song we've been learning. And there's a reason we've been learning it, and it ties in today so very well. Rich in mercy, how he loves me too much to let me stay lost. My salvation sent from heaven, nailed my sin to a a cross. Oh, but God. Regardless of where you find yourself today, there is no circumstance God is not sovereign over. Regardless of what you are navigating today, there is no mountain that is bigger than the God we serve. Do you believe that God can use even the darkest parts of your life and transform them, to transform you, to transform us as the body of Christ to be more and more like Jesus? May that be where our eyes remain fixed. Heavenly Father, as we close this time, may you remind us daily of the mercy you have shown to us Not because we have earned it or deserved it, but because you are God. And you desire that all would reach repentance, Father. May we walk as people humble before you. Surrendered to Christ and not our flesh. All for your glory in Jesus' name.